Now, I know what some of you are thinking today about these stones that uh, somehow I was going to preach on uh, Stephen and give you a live rendition of that. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that today, but we are going to do something with the stones uh, and not the rolling either. Joshua chapter 4 this morning, if you're visiting with us, we're certainly grateful that you have chosen to come to First Baptist Church of Bradenton, and, and I hope I get a chance to, to meet you. And I said to someone this morning, if, if I lived closer to Bradenton, this is the church where I would be a member, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, this, is, this is where I would come because I uh, greatly appreciate many, many of the folks in this church that I have grown to love, and, and uh, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be with you in this time. We come today to a very uh, unique service. We probably, I probably should have promoted it much, much more, but I really wanted to be very cautious and very careful not to expound upon the importance of this service because, you know, God knew who was going to be here today. It's probably not the greatest timing being at the end of 4th of July. How, how many of you traveled this week a little bit? Anybody? I guess I was the only one, maybe a few of us. I, I flew to Austin, Texas on Wednesday and had the privilege of, of seeing my oldest son and his wife and our 18-month-old granddaughter. And it was a joy and a treat to be with her until last night. I flew back in last night and, and uh, got in at about, I don't know, 5.30, 6 o'clock and had dinner. Jennifer is in Tennessee. My wife is in Tennessee and Alabama these days. So we were kind of, we were apart the, the last several days. That's not a lot of fun. It's fun when you're with your kids and everything, but you really want your spouse there and you want to enjoy uh, that time together. But she was with our son, Micah, and his fiance, Aaron. And so uh, we, we kind of went different ways and we both were talking this morning. We're not going to do that again. We're just not going to do that anymore. It's, it's just not as much fun as it is together. You know, Growing up playing a lot of different sports, I always heard this phrase. And in fact, just recently I was out with my friend Dave McCutcheon and we were playing golf. And, and he's, he's not a golf teacher, but, but he certainly knows a golf uh, you know, student when he sees one. And I am that. I'm still learning the game. I'm not very good. I love to play. But I had taken back my my driver and I'd gone all the way back like they teach you to and I had come through and they they call this a follow-through now I have the tendency to want to do this and see where that ball goes but they will teach you in golf that if you want to have a good swing and you want your ball to go a long way you take it back and then you follow through and you keep your eye on the ball well, I always want to keep my eye on the ball. But, but the problem is I have this enormous power fade is what I call it. I think most people call it a slice. But I have a power fade. And then every once in a while I'll have what's called a, a power draw. And that's called a hook. And the reason you do that in golf is because you don't follow through. In baseball, I was recently at a little league baseball game and I heard seven and eight year old kids, okay? And this kid is, is throwing like 
mm, and man, he's, he's zinging it in there, but it's here and it's there and there. And I hear his mother, or, or at least someone who was pretending to be his mother, I suppose, say, you got to follow through. And I'm thinking, that's easy for you to say, lady. That kid's thrown his arm out already. He doesn't have any follow through. But you know, they teach him all this wind up, and then it's the follow through that counts. In Joshua chapter 4, I look at this and I think, you know, for a spiritual experience like they had, it requires a follow-through. I prefer, honestly, to be born along effortlessly in my Christian walk, but that's not the way it works, ladies and gentlemen. And some great spiritual experiences somehow fade into nothingness because I failed to follow through. And for, for many, the, the Christian life is kind of like a soapbox derby. Someone gives you a big shove down a steep hill and you sail along and the wind whistles through your ears and the people sweep by and everything is great. And then suddenly you begin to slow down and you get slower and slower and slower until you finally stop. And you've stalled until you find another hill and someone to give you another push. A lot of folks are stalled in the wilderness, hoping God will come along and somehow give them a big push that will pro propel them into this big spiritual experience. The roadside of Christianity is littered with countless Christians who at one time were really, really turned on to the Lord and, and their experience, and most of them are there because they didn't understand how to follow through. Well, in Joshua chapter 4, we read the story, and I'm not going to read it all this morning. I'm going to expect you to take some of it home and read it, but we, we follow up. Last week we had the Lord's Supper. What a wonderful service that was. But today we continue from two weeks ago, and, and we look at chapter 4, and when the Bible says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe, a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe and Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. Now if we'd have brought that size of stone in here, we'd had a lot of trouble. But it, they were big stones and according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. First Baptist Church, we're preparing to enter into a time of transition, a time of looking back at our past and seeing the things that God did among this body called First Baptist Church. 
We're also going to spend some time looking at the present and what God is showing us now and what God has done and is doing in our midst right now. But then we're going to look at the future. We're going to ask God to show us and give us discernment and give us understanding and direction. Soon there will be a transition focus team from among you that won't do all the work because we need you to help them and me and us to see what God has in store for First Baptist Church of Bradenton. Paul, the apostle, emphasized the walk of the Christian as he said, as, as therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Most, most of the time our public testimonies stress our crisis experience, but Paul talks about what the old preachers used to say. It's not how loud you shout or how high you jump, but how you walk when your feet hit the ground. Amen? Are y'all with me this morning? Okay. Now the importance of follow-through is seen in the fact that the first four chapters of Joshua deal with the actual entering the land. But the other 20 relate to what happened after the entrance. And a very strange thing happened first. Before they were crossing at one of the most strongly fortified areas of Canaan, about 40,000 of the Israelites entered the land dressed for battle, but fighting was not to be their first act. Though they were vulnerable at that location, they were ready to fight. God ordered them to stop in that exposed area and worship him by erecting a memorial. Every tribe was directed to take a stone from the middle of the river and one for every one of the 12 tribes and set them up in their encampment. The place was known as Gilgal. Gilgal, a place of passage, a place where God had them cross over and they followed through with it. The stones probably placed there were in a circle and they stood as a memorial to what God had done for his people in that day. Now look at me. We need a Gilgal. We need a place where we can say, okay, our past is behind us. We know that we have got ministry to do in the present and in the future, and we need a Gilgal to cross over. You've got to remember that for the Christian, our salvation experience is much like the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. But that's not all there is to it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm telling you that when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he wasn't talking about heaven. He was talking about right now. He was talking about living a life, the exchanged life. And so here we find the strange circle of stones. That was their follow-through and the guarantee that the experience would last investigating the meaning of the stones will be very profitable for us in our follow-through. What do these stones mean? Look at chapter 4, verse 21. The end of that, that, that verse, it says, what mean these stones? Or what do these stones mean? Well, the stones, the stones were the evidence of a lasting experience. 
The monument of stones was there in verse 24, so that you may know, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The miracle of Jordan was to have a permanent effect upon Israel. There was no doubt that the mighty display of divine power produced instant reverence for the Lord. But that experience was to be so deep, so intense, and so much reverence would last forever. And I must add that reverence was to be independent of the miracles of God. In other words, if God had to keep performing miracles to sustain their reverence, the experience was defective. It is impossible to have a genuine encounter with God and remain the same. If you are the same, you've never had an experience with God. God changes us from the inside out. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ changes us from the inside out and should continue to change us. As long as we are living this life, we have not arrived. We have not become some spiritual giant. We are still in process. My son and I sat down this week, and he's 30, almost 32, and, and, and he's father for the first time, and, 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 you know, just having the time of his life, and I said to him, son, I, I want you to understand and know how, how proud I am of you and how grateful I am and, and the man that you have become and the father and the husband, and I, I just want you to know, and, and he said, well, dad, let me ask you a question. How are you doing as a father? Excuse me? How are you doing as a husband? Uh, pardon me, that, those are questions that I ask. He said, Dad, you know how much I love you? And I said, well, son, I, I love you too. And he said, do you know that I pray for you every day that you'll be a strong husband and a strong father? I said, son, my kids are raised. He said, yeah, but we still need you, Dad. We still need you to finish strong. Man, I, I got to tell you, folks, that was like the voice of the Holy Spirit reminding me that I'm still in process. I haven't arrived. I'm still in the process. And, and, and when you look at Moses meeting God at the burning bush, revolutionized and reversed his whole life, Jacob's experience at Bethel wrought such change in him that God gave him a new name. And the Damascus Road confrontation turned Saul of Tarsus into Paul the apostle, a change so extraordinary that the Christian the, the folks that knew him as Saul could not believe it at first. Those 12 stones proclaimed a new beginning, a new era for Israel. It was only a beginning. The first stop had to lengthen into a walk. So this aspect of the Christian experience is a major thrust that you find in the New Testament. Paul warned the Corinthians that any religious experience which did not result in holy living was, was receiving the grace of God in vain. The Galatians made a good start, but they were in danger of returning to their former, former religious rut. 
they were going to go back and add things. Staying free was as much a part of their salvation as being set free and liberated. One of the most sobering thoughts in the Bible occurs in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. Having admonished the Philippians to go on to maturity, Paul says, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. What an astonishing thing and a thought for me. The fact that they had been converted wasn't sufficient to cause Paul to glory when he stood before Christ as far as he was concerned. And remember, he was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If they failed to follow through to maturity, his labor among them would have been in vain. All of his efforts would have been meaningless. How could that be? Even if they didn't grow and develop, at least they were going to go to heaven. Surely that meant something, but not to the Apostle Paul. He felt that his ministry to them achieved only their entrance into heaven. He might as well have stayed home. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to me. The day that I began to understand there was more to this life, than, than even preaching and teaching. There was more to this Christian walk than, than just going through a series of religious motions. The day that I began to walk in that freedom and walk in that liberty, I would dare not ever go back. I love living the exchanged life. Most of you are aware of this. I, I, have, a, I have a liver disease. It's called NASH. It's, it's non-alcoholic. I always tell people this because they oh, non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver. And I, I know that many of you are praying for me. Some, uh, one of my doctors recently said to me, Alan, you, you should not be functioning. I said, well, some people don't believe I am anyway. And he smiled at me. He said, no, you should, you should be in liver failure. I said, but doc, I'm not. He said, I know, I know, and I don't understand. And I said, well, let me share with you why I'm not. And I shared that, that I was walking in this, in this exchanged life. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm not a name it, claim it kind of guy. I, I, that's, that's not what I believe the Bible says. But I do believe this, that, that God knows the number of my days. And I believe this, that God wants me to live in victory even when it appears that I should be living in defeat. I'm not going to live in defeat. Ladies and gentlemen, this may be my last pastorate. I don't, I don't want to put a downer on this at all. But I want you to understand this, that my condition is as serious as it gets because they tell me the next step is a liver transplant. And they also tell me that a majority of the people that require those things don't get those things because your liver basically has to fail in order to get ready for a next step. I want you to understand something. I am not living for what might be 20 years from now. I'm living for today, believing and trusting God that his exchange life, his life in me, 
not I, but Christ that lives in me is the way that he wants me to live. The gospel is frequently described as dynamite because the, you get the word gospel from the Greek word dunam. It's translated power. Unfortunately, some of, some of our experiences are exactly like a stick of dynamite, a loud noise, a quick boom, a lot of dust, and in a second, there's no trace of it. We get another word from dunamis, which I'm, I believe describes salvation. It is dynamo, and it is a continual source of energy. When God saved us, when God saved me, he placed within us a dynamo, the Holy Spirit of God. He placed that person of the Trinity within us, and he provides an unceasing flow of divine energy, a permanent power supply that enables us to become all that God saved us to be. Now, if you didn't hear anything else I've said this morning, don't miss that. I need the person of the Holy Spirit in my life, don't you? Man, I need, I need God the Holy Spirit to work in my life. And so these stones then were to become, secondly, the center of their lives. From the very spot of the river where the priest had stood with the ark, from the heart of their experience, they took 12 stones and they placed them in the camp. What God had done for them was to be an integral part of their daily lives. Gilgal, the site of the memorial, became the base of all of their activities. And from there, they went out to fight. And whether victorious or defeated, they always returned to that sacred spot. It was the center of their life. We need to get Gilgal, a place of remembering. This morning, I'm going to ask you to take your stone. In just a moment, you're going to have to share some of those markers. There's a few left up here if you do want to come up and get one of these if you need a marker or, or, or one of the ushers can give you one of these leftover, but you're going to need to share your markers. Now, I'm not going to ask you to write a lot on that stone, okay? Because there's not a lot of room there. If I'd have given you a bigger rock, you could have written a lot more. But in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to either write a verse, not just, just where it's at. I'm going to ask you to write a word. Remember Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, be strong and courageous. You can even B-S-B-C, be strong, be courageous. This morning, we've, we've been given a lot of words, hope, no fear. There are a lot of things. But frequently, the Bible warns us about forgetfulness. When you thumb through the pages of Deuteronomy, you shall hear these words. Remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you forget the Lord your God. But you shall remember the Lord your God. And it shall come to pass. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God, you shall surely perish. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. First Baptist Church needs the presence of God. We require the presence of God. We can't do what we are going to do without God's presence. There wasn't any danger they would forget crossing the Jordan and entering Canaan. The danger was that they would forget it had been accomplished by God's power alone. 
when that happened, they would begin to take God for granted. Now, lest we be so harsh on the Israelites, can I tell you, we're just the same way. Growing up in the church, I had the privilege of, as a boy, my father was very intentional about taking me places where I would sense and know the power and the presence of God. There was a, a camp in Myrtle, Mississippi, of all places, that my father would take me to as a little boy. It was called Camp Zion. And oftentimes, as a 8, 9, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy, I would sit in that big tabernacle, that open-air tabernacle, and I would hear some of the great preachers of old. And there were many of those preachers that I would listen to. I still listen by, by tape and DVD. That, that tape really, really dates this. But people like Manly Beasley, I'll never forget hearing Dr. Beasley speak at, at that conference, at that all-day preaching and all, all evening. And even as a boy, I sat there and was just overwhelmed and amazed. But sometimes I get busy in life and I forget about the power and the presence of God and the things he's done in my life. I forget about the times that he has raised me up when, when, when really I should have been going down. I forget about those experiences like in the church where I pastored a, a capital city, the state of Missouri, eight blocks from the capital, a church that was dead and dying. And somehow God chose me to go there. And, and in my first year, I did 143 funerals in the first year. I buried the church. But God began to bring in young couples and, and singles to our congregation. We became a multiracial church very quickly and multi-generational, but our, our average age went from about 65 down to 27. It was the craziest thing. 18 months, during an 18-month period, I baptized over 400 people. Every once in a while, I have to be reminded, God did that. He just put me in that place. And I, I almost come to tears when I think about those days because it was some of the sweetest and some of the hardest days of my life. There were more problems, more challenges because, you know, when you've got a church full of brand new babies, brand new Christians, you got to get them grown up pretty quickly. I remember oftentimes making foolish mistakes by putting a baby Christian in charge of a ministry. They, they, they needed a discipler. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you in this room are going to become disciplers. Some of you have been around a long time, and, and you've been, but I want you to understand what I'm about ready to say. There were times when I would say, my church, my church, my church. I'd go to a pastor's meeting. You know what pastors do? on Monday morning when they go to these meetings, they talk about noses and numbers, talk about how big the offering was, they talk about how many people were in church. That's not what's important. I can remember sitting in a pastor's meeting and say, saying something like, well, my church and my church, and God said, stop it, it's not your church. It's my church. I said, Lord, you're right. You've just given me the opportunity. Ladies and gentlemen, this is God's church. 
It belongs to him. And, and so last week when we had the Lord's Supper as a remembrance of his death for us, we call it a memorial supper like the stones. It is a place of remembering. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we do it to remember that it was for our sins. His body was broken and his blood was shed. Remembering the cross is a powerful deterrent to backsliding. Paul says this, that our lack of certain spiritual virtues is evidence we have forgotten our purification from former sins. We need a place of readjustment. Every Christian, sooner or later, experiences spiritual vertigo or, or becomes disoriented. Like Joshua, we need a place where we can realign ourselves to the will of God. How can we know we need readjusting? Well, the standard by which we measure our present relationship with God is his previous work in us. We examine our present spiritual status in the light of that past experience. Why not check yourself right now? You remember how it was, that fresh awareness of his presence? That love that seemed to flow from your fingertips? The irresistible desire to talk about him. Is it still that way? Is it still that way in your life? You used to be patient. Now you're touchy and miserable and irritable. Don't look at your neighbor. Joyfulness. It's been replaced with worry and anxiety instead of peace, contentment. Do you find yourself trying to live up to what you were? If you need to return to Gilgal, the place of readjustment, the place of confession, the place of forgiveness. Not long ago, I was, I was flying one of, uh, with one of our pilots and we took off we settled our course, and I asked if I could take the controls, and sure enough, I thought I was doing really well until he tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, look at your GPS. Without realizing I had drifted from the course we had set in the same way, I'll be honest with you, that's the way I can be when I'm, when I'm doing this Christian life, when I'm doing this exchange life. I can get my sights set instead of keeping my eyes on God's GPS. The last thing is this. These stones were a witness to others. Say, so what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, it has been said that you can't meet God and not know it. And that's true. Others will know it, though. There's an unusual song. You, you see it instead of hearing it. Neither the psalmist nor Moses had to convince people they had met God. Moses didn't need a glow-in-the-dark bumper sticker that said, I'm living in the sunshine. He didn't need that. You know why? Because he lived it. People could see it in him. Three times in Joshua 4, the people were commanded to explain the meaning of the stones when their children ask about them. I have five children. One daughter, the oldest. Four sons. Let me tell you what. She is the boss. I'm telling you. But it's always, now that they're grown, it's always funny to see them come together. Because when Jennifer and I got married after we both lost our spouses, we put her 15-year-old and her 11-year-old sons in with my 9-year-old 
and 17-year-old sons and my 20-year-old daughter who was, 21-year-old daughter who was saying, please let me out of this place. <laughs> Sunday at lunch was pretty special because we would always we would always gather around the table. Jennifer had fixed a wonderful dinner, and, and we would always try to have that one meal together. And, and then Laura met this hairy-legged boy that started coming to lunch with us that became my son-in-law. And that boy could eat more, and I, my, my grocery bill increased double. And uh, I had five boys around that table. It was always interesting to listen to the significant conversations that took place there. One of the things that I would always do, you know, or, or typically I would say, what, what did the pastor preach on today? The, boy, the boys had always dropped their heads, you know. My daughter would say, she'd give me the verse, she'd quote it, you know, she's trying to impress dad. The boys had, you know, really wish they had these and but I would remind them that so much of life we go through, we just grow, go through the process instead of the experience of it. Now here's the significant thing I want you to get about these stones. They were the past reaching into the present, a present condition resulting from a past event. It's all right to talk about the past if there's some evidence of that past in the present. Every once in a while, I will walk into a church and they will say these words to me. You should have seen this church 20 years ago. God sent a great revival. It was really something. And when I hear that, I feel like saying, well, I'm glad you told me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have never known. There's nothing wrong with talking about the past. It's good to remember. It's good to recite. God's blessings, but here's the point. There ought to be present evidence of those past blessings. First Baptist Church of Bradenton is filled with an amazing heritage and past. And ladies and gentlemen, that past work of God should just be the beginning of an experience that is still going on. Before we close, I want us to get down to business now. In your hand, you have a stone. I want you to take that marker, and if you need to wait and borrow from one, I want you to begin to write at least one word or maybe two or three words if you can fit them in there. You don't have to put your name on this stone. I'm not going to collect these stones from you personally, but you're going to bring them. We're actually going to have a memorial stone right up here in the altar. We'll probably move them away from the altar at some point in time, but I'm gonna put these during this transition process somewhere where you'll remember these things because when we get to the end of this process, I want you to remember what God has done. You may not always remember how he did it or even who he used, but that you were a part of it. And in 20 years, church, if you're still around, I want you to go to that memorial stone remembrance and say, that's when God started doing what you see right now. 
Ladies and gentlemen, there are some things that need to be shored up around here. There are some things that probably don't need to go on anymore. There are some new things that need to happen. There are some changes and some challenges that we've got to meet, and we've got to meet head on. But we've got to do that together. Somebody said to me, are you going to come in and change this church? I don't have the power to change this church. But together, uh-oh, God's speaking right now. Well, that, that was timing, let me tell you. Thank you, Lord. Mm. But together, we can see God do some things that 20 years from now, we'll look back and say to our children and their children, I was there. I was there. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe this with all my heart. The church in general needs a revival. This church needs revival. And it's got to begin right here. It can't begin any other place. It can't begin with the folks that aren't here right now. It's got to begin right here. I didn't know what in the world that was just coming through there. I thought, wow, man, I got somebody coming to the altar quickly. Here's what I want you to do. Begin to write. If it's a verse, just put the, 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 the book and the, the verse number. If it's a word, courage. If it's a word, hope. If it's a word, revival. Whatever that word is. Make sure it means something to you and that you will be able to decipher your stone. Because all these stones are going to be put up here. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment. And if you can't get up here, our ushers will come to you and they'll take your stones there. And they'll come up and they'll bring them. And I'm going to ask you to put them right up here on the altar. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, these.